Welcome to Real Life. Hi, I'm Jim Miller, and you're listening to the Real Life LA podcast, coming to you from multiple locations in the San Gabriel Valley of sunny Southern California. We're a church for everyone, and we exist to lead people to Jesus, a community of grace with a God-sized vision that reaches from generation to generation. As you hear today's message, we pray that God speaks specifically to you and opens your heart and inspires you to live each day with more joy, beauty, and wonder. Good morning, church. It is great to be with you today. Happy Sunday. If you're here in the room, I'm glad that you were able to join us at our Valley Center campus. If you are at our Glendora campus this morning, good morning, Glendora. I know I'm usually there in person. I'm on a screen today, but man, I am thankful for that team who is uh, hanging out with you. You are in good hands. If you're watching us online uh, or if you're listening to the podcast later in the week, thanks for joining us digitally. Uh, It's exciting to be in a time where I can be in one spot, but be in so many places at once. If you are listening to the podcast and driving, when we pray today, don't close your eyes. Just keep driving safe. Uh, It's going to be a good Sunday together. Uh, I I just want to say thank you real quick to those who made uh, Bacon Sunday, Father's Day, go so well last week. You know, we're in a series where we're talking about uh, encountering God, and what better way to encounter God than by feasting on bacon as a church, right? And uh, I know Cody and the rest of the volunteers who made the bacon happen, we are so thankful for you, for the staff who stepped up and did a lot of extra work to get bacon in multiple locations. Well done. Uh, So dads, Come back next year. We'll have bacon again. Uh, And, you know, Father's Day is out of the way. Uh, 4th of July is coming. And as it is drawing near, I'm reminded of a story. Uh, And you can probably relate. You know, like when you're a kid and you try to create your own fireworks? No, you know, you know, right? When you're like nine and you decide, well, maybe. Okay, so maybe this is just a me story. I'll tell it. And then... You'll see, you'll see. You had this same thing happen to you. I was, I was in the third grade. I had a buddy named Brandon. We'd recently seen some fireworks happen, and we decided we wanted to make our own. But we did not know how fireworks were made. And there was no, this is pre-internet. We could not just search it up, right, at that point. But what we knew about fireworks was you had a thing, and you lit it on fire, and it went in the air, and then it exploded. And so we decided we were going to get some things, light them on fire, throw them in the air and see which ones would make the best fireworks. You're looking at me like, I know, I was nine. I didn't know how it worked, okay? <laughs> so uh, we, we went to Brandon's garage. You see, Brandon, uh, his, his mom was not around that day. We'd kind of figured things out. Brandon's parents had uh, divorced, so he was in one of two houses, and we figured out a way to usually be at the house where there was no grown-up. And so we were at that house that day. We went to the garage to find what are some things that would make good fireworks. And while we were out there, we found a, uh, a gas tank, you know, like a five-gallon red gas tank. We're like, this is going to be helpful. We grabbed that. And we had this idea. We're like, oh, across the street, there's a field. We gathered a bunch of, of cattails, not like the animal cattails, you know, like the plant. It has a stem and it has a thing on the end. Like, that's great because it has like a built-in fuse. This is going to be wonderful. Uh, you're still looking at me. I blame Looney Tunes. I don't know what to tell you, right? So we, we're looking around. We grabbed some straws, put some sponges on the end. Anything that looked like it could be on fire and explode, we gathered together. We went to the street just to the side of his house, got all of our supplies together, and quickly figured out we could not just dunk things into the gasoline uh, because of the way that the, the tank was. Instead, we, we began pouring uh, gasoline over all of these different items. We started with the cattails. We 
pour gasoline on them, light the inn on fire and threw them. And they, they just like fizzled out. It was not, there were no fireworks that happened. Apparently, this isn't how fireworks work, but we tried item after item and poured more and more gasoline on this thing until uh, we saw what seemed like the best idea we'd ever had in our lives in Brandon's front yard. There was a tennis ball. Oh, that's what we've been missing. Tennis balls, I'm sure those make incredible fireworks. Uh, so we took our tennis ball and we, we poured so much gasoline on this thing. Uh, we then took our strike anywhere matches and we lit them. Because here's what we thought. Tennis balls have a lot of like, they're compressed, right? I don't, we were nine, I don't know. And so when, when something, when air heats up, like it expands, we're like, this is going to be great. It's going to go into the air. Best fireworks we've ever seen. I wonder if it'll be green. And so we took the strike anywhere match and we took the gasoline doused tennis ball and we lit it and we threw it into the air. Now, uh, a couple things happened uh, pretty close to immediately, uh, but I'm pretty sure there was a succession of events that took place. Uh, first of all, we didn't see it at the time, uh, but a few blocks away onto the street uh, turned one of our local police officers in the small town we lived in. Now, I don't know if maybe a neighbor had said like, hey, police department, there's something going on. You should check out. Maybe he was just out on patrol, but, but he turned the corner as that ball flew into the air. As we looked up at the ball, we did not notice him. We also did not notice the functional like lake of gasoline we were now standing in. Uh, so, so all of that was happening. The, the ball comes down, still on fire, which we thought, well, at least that's a success. It didn't like go out and it hit the ground and from gutter to gutter, this road lit up in flame. Now, we started trying to stamp out this fire. That was not working. We went to run. We knocked over the gas can. That did not help the situation. We ran uh, and hopped over a neighbor's back fence. We, this was not our first time running from something. And so we knew you don't jump into your backyard. You jump into someone else's. So we, we jump into their backyard. We then run around through the alley, back through the back of Brandon's house, up to the second floor to watch What's going to happen? Now, uh, I am thankful uh, that it is wired into us uh, as humans. Part of the human experience is our eyes and our brains recognize fire. Here's why I'm thankful for that. That police officer, whether he knew what he was driving into or not, when he turned the corner and that tennis ball hit the ground and flames went up, he knew immediately what he needed to do to save that neighborhood. And he did. He Flipped his lights on, siren went, he went flying forward, he pulled right up, fire extinguisher out, uh, put that fire out incredibly fast. We watched it from the upstairs and went, that was incredible. Let's never do that again. Apparently that is not how fireworks work. And I, I so appreciate his ability to recognize the fire that was happening. And I appreciate that, you know, when you talk to psychologists or anthropologists about the history of, of humans. You, you talk to, you know, anybody who is in the field of figuring out how the human brain works, they'll tell you we are wired to notice a flame. The extent to which we then pay attention to it and what we do with that, uh, that varies across culture and across time, but it is built into you. It is built into me to notice when there is a flame. I'm thankful for that on that day 
And also, it plays into the text we're going to look at today. Uh, We're going to be looking at a story from the early church. As we talk about encountering God, we're going to look at a story that is centered around an experience that had to do with fire. It's at the very center of this story. And my hope is that today, as we take a second look, as we're drawn to give our attention to the flame at the center of today's story, that our lives might be changed through it. We're going to be in the book of Acts in chapter 2. Before we jump into today's text, let's take a moment and pray. Uh, God, we invite you uh, to make yourself known in this space. Whether uh, we're in a room together or not, God, we know that you are with us. And so we pray that you would teach us something new through your word and that you would change our lives today as we study it together. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be accepting and pleasing to you, our Lord and our Redeemer. Amen. So we're in Acts chapter 2. Acts is the first book in the New Testament after the Gospels. So you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts. So it's going to be towards the, you know, keep flipping to the right. Some of you, you just, you now navigate the Bible digitally. So you just go to the book of Acts. We're in chapter 2. Acts was written by the same guy who wrote the Gospel of Luke. His name's Luke, right? So he wrote the Gospel of Luke, wrote the book of Acts. He writes this story. We're in verse 1. Turn with me. Let's read together. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Now, Pentecost might not be a thing that you celebrate. It was very much a thing that was celebrated in Jewish culture at that time. Uh, It was one of three large-scale annual festivals that uh, people who are of the Jewish faith celebrated each year. We'll talk a little bit later about, like, the why behind it. Uh, But it was 50 days after Passover, Pentecost. Kind of gives you, gives you a hint there. So this is 50 days after Passover is when they are celebrating Pentecost. Verse 2, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. The word here can also be other languages as the Spirit enabled them. Verse 5, now, they, there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven, right? Because this is when they would all gather together, one of three times during the year. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans, right? They were all from kind of this lakeside community. Aren't, these guys aren't from everywhere. They're from Galilee, right? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? There are Parthians and Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia. And that's a a Roman province, Asia at the time. Uh, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own language. Tongues, they say. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. Now let's pause for a moment. Let's talk about kind of what had just happened. Here's where we're at on the timeline of the first century church. Right, so this is taking place less than 50 days. This, this moment in Pentecost is happening less than 50 days after Jesus' death 
and resurrection. Not only that, this is happening uh, around 10 days after Jesus' final ascension into heaven. So Jesus has died, stayed in the tomb, resurrected, walked the earth for another 40 days, and ascended to heaven. This is around 10 days after that. The story is fresh. The apostles are still gathered together, praying and considering what happens next. And then there's this moment as they're together where tongues of flames appear over all of their heads. And then they begin speaking in languages that some of them did not even know, the languages of all of those who had gathered in Jerusalem at the time. And if you're looking for a moment in the New Testament where a group of people, a group of believers, encountered God, this is a significant one. So when I was studying this text and I was trying to get a feel for, okay, so what's, what does this tongues of fire thing mean? If, if fire is something that, you know, we're, we pay attention to, we notice, like what, what can we notice here? Is this maybe a phrase I, I considered that, you know, Luke was using that everyone would be familiar with and maybe I just, I don't live there, so I don't know. Oh, we say tongues of fire all the time. I was hanging out with a group of teenagers this week and one of them asked another a question and their response was, bet. What, bet what? what? This is the thing we say now? I was, is this, is tongues of fire like the, the old bet? It's a thing you say? Like, I, I don't understand. So I start, I start looking this up, right? Where, where do these words come from? Luke chooses these words intentionally. And so I've, I'm going through, you know, ancient languages, original language, this tongues. Let's start with tongues. Like, is this a, is this a thing? And I, I look it up. You know what the word here for tongues is? Tongues of fire. There's tongues. That's it. This isn't a special word. This is literally the same kind of word you'd use for the body part, a tongue. And it's like, oh, thanks, Luke. That's not helpful. Maybe, though, it's the way that he talks about fire. Maybe it's this word for fire. So I'm looking through more books. I'm looking up things. I'm trying to pull things off the shelf from seminary. Oh, I find it. Two tongues. That's just tongue. Fire is the word fire. It's flame. It's fire. It's just the regular, it's the regular word. There's nothing special about these two words, which made me kind of go, Luke, what are you doing? Man, like I don't, I don't get this. This story seems odd. And maybe you've heard this story before and somebody has taught it to you well and it makes sense to you. Uh, I look at stories like this. Sometimes I just bounce my eyes past them. So I, go, I don't understand what's happening here. I don't think there's much to understand. It's just weird. And I keep going. But as I started looking deeper into what Luke might have been writing about, I took a second look. I let my eyes notice what they needed to notice. And I made a connection that for me has become a game changer in the last couple weeks. And my hope is that today, if you might notice it as well, it could change your world. Consider this. The, the people who were gathered on that day, those uh, you know, God-fearing kind of Jewish people who were in that in that region, they'd gathered together for Pentecost. It was not odd for them. It was not an unfamiliar story that God's voice might be coming from a flame. Here's what I mean. Uh, take a moment. I, I want you to turn with me to the book of Exodus. It's going to be all the way back towards like the front of your Bibles. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 3 for a moment. It's a story that might be familiar to you. I guarantee the people who were gathered there that day knew this story and knew this story well. 
Exodus 3, starting in verse 1. Uh, The author writes this, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Familiar story? Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. His eyes noticed, like, there's fire. I will notice what is going on. Why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, from within that flame. And he said, Moses, Moses. Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. He was afraid to look at that flame from which God was speaking in that holy moment. In this account, God's people had been in slavery. They'd been crying out for rescue. And God came to speak to Moses to begin that process, the process of rescuing Israel from their bondage. And when God appeared to Moses, how did he appear? What did God's voice come out of? That's right. God spoke from a flame in a bush. Luke, the author of Acts, uses that same word. When when he is writing about the flames of Pentecost. He uses the same word that the author of Exodus used to talk about the flame in that bush, the flame from which God spoke. And there's, there's actually a pattern here, and it, it gets even better. If you uh, flip forward, we're going to talk a little bit about Exodus 19. I mentioned earlier I'd revisit the celebration of Pentecost, what it had come to represent in the lives of the Jewish people of the time of Jesus in in those early days of the book of Acts. In many ways, the celebration of Pentecost had moved from being a festival where they celebrated the harvest, though that is how it began, and, and it had moved to become a time to remember the promises that God made with the people of Israel at Mount Sinai, where the Ten Commandments were given. There are some scholars who believe that by the time that Jesus was around, that that celebration of Pentecost had almost become like an anniversary celebration of the, the wedding, if you will, that took place between God and God's people at Mount Sinai. And if this story is new to you, or it's been a while since you read the account of God giving the Ten Commandments, let's look at it together. Tell me if there's something that you notice that might be similar between this story and the others we're looking at today that you might give a second look to. Exodus 19, starting in verse 16. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. Let's say it again, because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace. The whole mountain trembled violently as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. This word for fire that the author of Exodus continues to use when God speaks to his people 
is the same word that Luke uses in the book of Acts to describe what was above the heads of the apostles. Uh, Imagine this. In a time where people have gathered from all corners of the area for this once, three times a year kind of gathering in Jerusalem, they're there fresh on their minds considering that time that God spoke to them from a flame. And a flame appears. Let's recap. God's voice as it comes from the flames in Exodus, it it offers a message primarily for God's people, right? In both of those Exodus accounts, in the burning bush, God reveals the plan for rescuing the people of Israel from slavery and from their bondage in Egypt. At Sinai, God reveals the plan uh, for how life and freedom is best lived. A covenant is made between God and Israel to show their love for each other. The good news that comes from the voice in those flames is primarily for God's people. Luke's account in the book of Acts reveals a pivot. It's a contrast to the stories that came before it. Here's what happens in the book of Acts when the tongues of flame appear above the apostles. They take a moment and they let the people around them know that what they're experiencing is something supernatural. Then they share the story of Jesus's life, his death, and his resurrection with all of those who had gathered in Jerusalem supernaturally in their own languages. And let me read to you what happened next in Acts 2. We're going to jump some verses to verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, they were cut to their hearts. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. There's a shift that happened on Pentecost. God's voice, God's spirit was no longer kept in one place and reserved only for God's chosen people. Instead, God's spirit was given freely to the believers and they were able to speak with the power of God's spirit in their voices so that others might come to know the truth of the gospel message. The miracle we see in Acts 2 is the beginning of explosive growth in the first century church. Thousands will be added to their numbers daily. God's spirit was on the move and people were given a chance to take part in that. That even those who were far from God might come to know him. Now this summer as a church, we are seeking encounters with God. Because we believe in a God who seeks to have encounters with with us. The God who spoke from the burning bush, the God who engulfed a mountain in flames, wants to encounter you in a way that makes you give God a second look. And God wants to give you a miracle in your life. And when you experience that miracle, 
when you experience something supernatural, a moment when you sense that God is in your midst, it should serve as a reminder that God's spirit wants to empower you to change the world around you in such a way that this world begins to look like the world that is to come, that, that God's kingdom has drawn near. And when you are given that experience, your next step is to use it to share the good news of the gospel message with others. The apostles, after experiencing the miracle of speaking in languages that were unknown to them before, use that encounter as a way to bless others. When God gives you a miracle, it is not just for you. Encounters with God are always given in order for you to share God's love with others. When you have been blessed, your next step is to be a blessing. Well, let me just say that again. When you have been blessed, your next step is to be a blessing. When today's message ends, you're going to have a chance to move on to whatever is next in your day. But I'd encourage you first to take a moment and answer this question. When is a time that God has had an encounter with you, that you've experienced a miracle in your life? Now, if you don't have an answer to that question, if, if this is not something you've experienced before, then make this your prayer this week. Say, God, give me an encounter with you that helps me share your love with others. Once you've thought about that experience that God has already given you, or you have prayed that prayer, I want you to make the decision to share that with someone else in your life. If you're a follower of Jesus, he commands us to go. He, he tells us that's actually what we are supposed to do. We should tell others the good news of God's great love for us. One of the best ways we can do that is to share with others an encounter that you have had with God. And if you are not yet a follower of Jesus. Maybe today's the day that you ask God to encounter you in such a way that you know how real God is. We follow a God who seeks to encounter us. Are you ready for that? Let's pray. Uh, God, we thank you that as you came in the fire of a bush and a fire that engulfed a mountain and a fire that appeared with those early apostles to share your good news, God, that, that you are in our lives today to speak through us to a world that is deeply in need. And so we pray that you'd give us the courage to be your voice where you need us. God, for those who are considering encountering you for the first time, give them a boldness to pray, to ask you to reveal yourself to them. And God, those of us who you have made yourself real to, give us the courage to share that encounter with others. God, we love you. We pray this in all things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. Now, will you help us welcome others to real life? Share our podcast or find us on Facebook or Instagram at Real Life LA. If you'd like to become a supporter, please visit reallife.la and tap give to help us welcome everyone to real life. God bless and have a wonderful day.